This is Katie Camello, and you're listening to Five Questions with Dan Schauble. You're listening to the Five Questions podcast, and I'm your host, Dan Schauble. In fewer than 10 minutes, my goal is to extract the best advice from the world's smartest and most interesting people by asking them just five questions. My guest today is best-selling children's fiction author, Kate DiCamello. Kate is a former national ambassador for young people's literature and a two-time Newbery medalist. We talk about her literary career and new book, The Puppets of Spellhorse, during this episode. Kate, welcome to Five Questions. Oh, thank you for having me. How did growing up with chronic pneumonia draw you to read books? Oh, it's a great question. And you know, if you go back and you look at it's a theme that runs through a lot of writers lives that they were sick a lot as kids. And so you learn to live in your head. So you start telling yourself stories, you live in books in a different way. I missed so much school. My mother was a teacher and she would go off to teach and I would be home alone. We didn't have a TV. I would read. And so in a in a strange way, all that sickness gave me this great gift of my imagination. I think the one common thing with successful people, especially those in the, I guess, media and entertainment business, is they look for outlets, right? Whether they are being bullied, whether they're sick, whether they're experiencing some sort of trauma, it typically they lean into their craft, you know, becomes their craft and then eventually their career because of that. All of my books were rejected by every publisher, except one each time. Each one has a different publisher, actually. And the first one I didn't even get an agent for because I was rejected by 70 out of 70 agents. You received 473 rejection letters. How did that motivate you? It actually, and when I say that number in front of kids, they can't believe it. And and I always have like a stutter of disbelief too. And I wonder with them, what is it that made me keep going? This is the thing is like, I didn't start writing until I was 30. And I knew for a long time before that, that I wanted to do it. By the time I sat down and actually started to do it, I had figured out that it depended on, yes, there's luck. Yes, you know, there's talent, but the most important thing was within my control. And that was like to do the work and to send the work out into the world. And so the rejection letters were hard, but they were also a validation that I was doing what I could do. And so in a weird way, they kept me going. And sometimes there were rejection letters, you know about this too, that would say something that was kind or would say, try us again. And that was enough. It's just like, I knew that there was one thing I could control, doing the work, sending the work out. And I just wasn't going to give up. Yeah, you make your own luck. And I just remember, especially in the, the, la- the last book, it was like, oh, you need to redo the proposal again. And because you're really dealing with people who are used to, you know, maybe publishing the same sort of book. Like I always remember, it's like, so-and-so wrote this book. Do you want to write the derivative of that book? But if you don't, then you have to keep on finding kind of a publisher or tweaking it until somebody, uh, you know, is interested. And today's world is actually, you know, as you know, very different, a lot of more self-publishing. I think over a million books are published a year, you know, and that's not all just, you know, the big five or whatnot. It's very different with all the writing that gets online and newsletters and social media. So, you know, there are definitely opportunities for people now that might not have existed decades ago. Absolutely. I mean, I I was dropping manuscripts in a mailbox and then they were coming back with, you know, printed rejection letters, which, you know, let's let's just take a moment to say, even though it's five questions, I had a dartboard and I would like put the rejection letters up on the dartboard and throw at them until I felt better. And then I would package up the story and send it back out. How have you been able to observe the world through the eyes of children, even as an adult? 
This is a tough one always for me to answer because it's taken me a long time to figure out that they didn't fully solidify until I heard an interview with the children's writer, Beverly Cleary. And she talked about how, I think she said the 10-year-old, for me, it's kind of an eight-year-old, and she tapped her chest, was right here, right on the surface for her. I don't think it's that way for everybody. It's that way for me. I don't have to imagine my way back into what it was like to be that age. For whatever reason, that kid is front and center with me. And part of the reason that I write stories, people ask, do you check you know, your stories with kids to make sure that they're right? Or it's like, no, the kid is right here. <laughs> you know, I love I that. Right for that kid. That makes a lot of sense. Speaking of books and you writing books for children, what can children take away from your new book, The Puppets of Spellhorst? Well, you know, this is, as you know, that it's not out in the world yet. And this is always a very interesting time for me. So we're about uh, a month away from it being published. And what happens for me now is that I talk to people who have read it and I find out what they make of the book and I can figure out what the book is about. So I'm, I'm doing those pre-interviews with good readers who have then told me. And so I think, I hope that from the talks that I've had, that the kids and adults too will like maybe walk away feeling empowered to tell their own story and empowered to dream. That's what I, I hope. And I wouldn't have known that without talking to all the readers who have talked to me about it. That's yeah, like You've a focus group. Yeah. And, and yeah. even in <laughs> movies, they do screeners. So they get a sense of right. how audiences are reacting. So that does happen in publishing. I mean, for nonfiction books, I never went through that part of the process, but maybe it's more common for kind of children's or, well, or it, fiction. It is also that thing where I write without an outline. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't always understand the themes of a book until I get to this part where I've talked to these people who have read it and together they point out the themes to me. I mean, it reminds me of the very first time that I went to talk to a group of kids for a school visit for the very first book. And the teacher said to the kids, okay, here's the person who wrote this book. Now we're going to talk about the themes in this book. And I stood up in front of those kids and I thought, oh no, I have no idea what the themes are. How are <laughs> we going to talk about it? You know, and the teacher and the kids shouted out the themes. And that was the first time I understood that I didn't know what was going on in the story as much as a reader did. Definitely. And what's your best piece of career advice? My best piece of career advice. For me, it is to make a deal with yourself about how you're going to do the work because it is really, really easy to dream, but you have to put some kind of work behind the dream. And it took me a long time to figure out that it's easier to do the work than it is to talk about doing the work. Once I had that epiphany that it's, you know, when you when you have a big dream and you're telling everybody what your dream is and you want to do it and it's exhausting to talk about it all the time and not to be actually doing it. So it's easier to do the work than it is not to do the work. That's my best piece of career. Thank you so much for sharing your wisdom, Kate. To follow her journey, you can read The Puppets of Spellhorse and find her on Facebook where she shares her travels, appearances, and conversations. To watch the full extended video version of this episode, go to youtube.com slash Dan And please remember to rate and review the 5 Questions podcast on iTunes. Mm -hmm.